The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It is the Christmas season, so my hope is that you're moderately prepared for it. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can turn there as well, and uh, we'll get to that in a moment. want to give a shout-out to uh, Lake Stevens High School. It won the state championship last night, so we got, uh, we got a bunch of different players. we got some coaches that are part of the church, so I wanted to make sure we gave them a little shout-out. That's a pretty big deal. Um, somebody was mentioning how there hasn't been a state champion um, in Snohomish County since 1981 for football, so that was kind of a, a cool deal. Way to go. Um, and don't forget me when y'all are famous or whatever, so okay. Um, just kidding. Well, hey, um, uh, Heather and I dig movies. We go on date nights, and, and we'll go to dinner in a movie or, or whatever, and it's always fun, and there's something about how when you watch a movie, if you watch a good movie, they've done a great job developing the plot and sticking to a certain plot, and yet for, for you and I, if you ever watch a movie uh, that, that like lacks a plot, there's no depth to it, it seems to be kind of meandering different places, and it never gets back to it, there's nothing more frustrating than that, and um, I bring it up because this has everything to do with the idea of story. And if you've taken an English class or a bunch of English classes or, or a drama or whatever, you know the power of story. And they talk about, you know, the opening and intros and rising action, and climax, all that stuff, falling action and uh, tying up loose ends and all. And story is a big deal. And, and the reason I say it today is because when you look at Scripture and you look at the, the, the work of God in people's lives, what it is, is is God's story that has everything to do with you and I. And we're going to talk about that because it is huge. We can tell when something is myth- missing or lacks depth or whatever. And so when you look at Scripture and story, um, it's pretty amazing to think about. Now, we'll get to Luke 1, but when you go back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, what you have is, is mankind created by God and, and this idea of this thick, amazing, incredible relationship that has this depth and this intimacy, and yet there's a problem that happens when you get through that, that very beginning. So you have Adam and Eve, and well, you have Adam at first, and you have Eve, and again, they're enjoying walking with God in the cool of the day, and they're enjoying this fellowship with God. That's a huge deal, and yet the moment that this serpent comes in, and, and there's this deception, and sin becomes a problem, what you have is generation after generation after generation of brokenness. And I bring it up because we're all familiar with that picture of the story. What happens is the, the, the plot is lost. God's intent, God's design is lost. And what happens is sin comes in. Now, you might not know this, but sin is actually a term in archery. If you've ever shot a bow before and there's a target, the idea of doing the right thing or, or, or not sinning would be hitting the bullseye. Sin means to miss the mark, to not hit the bullseye. I've shot a bow enough times that I don't remember ever hitting a bullseye. And to be honest with you, again, when you talk about us as people and the issue of sin or missing the mark, it's a problem for everyone. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, which I'm going to refer to twice today, but if you're taking notes, Romans 5, 14, it says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. So what you see in Scripture is the original portion of the story where mankind is on track, but then sin comes in, and every generation after that has this issue of being off the mark. If you're familiar with Scripture and you've read the stories of, of Abraham or, or you know, Moses or David or whoever, I mean, even Abraham. Abraham was the one who tried to tell people, that's not my wife. Like, come on, that's a sin right there. You're, you're married and you say, that's not my wife. That's a problem, right? Anyone with me? Okay, we'll keep going. Um, you have Moses. 
I mean, Moses, on one hand, helped Israel escape Egypt and slavery, right? Amazing. That's great. Charlton Heston, let my people go, old school, whatever. But what was Moses in the beginning? He ends up a murderer. He ends up committing murder. I I mentioned David a moment ago. What was David? David, on one hand, is a man after God's own heart. David was one who, who, you know, wrote so many of the psalms that you and I have read before, and it talks about the lament of, why do, you know, people hate me, and why is this happening, but God, you are near to me. I cry out to you, I lean on you, I trust in you, and yet, what is another portion of David's story that isn't a man after God's own heart? Not only like Moses was David a murderer, but also an adulterer. And again, over and over and over, that's just a tiny sampling of story after story after story in Scripture of of, of mankind missing the mark, of of navigating a world of sin that causes that brokenness, that causes that despair, that, that causes that hopelessness. Evan did such a great job last week opening up our series on wonder, talking about Ezekiel. One of the prophetic books, what we have in our Old Testament. And oftentimes we look at these books and just go, it's just a whole bunch of pages of judgment and God's angry and things are wrong. But in context, what it is is over and over, God calling his people back from sin. God God calling his people out of patterns that are destroying them. God saying, yes, there is judgment coming if you don't turn from what you're doing. And when we get to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, as Evan so eloquently put last week, is the end of the nation of Israel and Judah, and now Ezekiel can actually see that the glory of God has left the temple. And so when you look at the original story of amazing relationship between God and, and, and man and how it worked and then sin comes in and there's ongoing and generational brokenness, it's hard to swallow. And again, the prophets were warning and warning and warning, don't go that direction. Don't fall prey to these patterns. But what I love is, and again, reminder from even last week, while God's glory left the temple and there was 400 years where there was nothing going on. And, and so what we have is, if, if you read scripture at all, Old Testament ends with Malachi. That's the last prophet of the Old Testament. And then we pick up in Matthew. And you have a genealogy, and then you have this Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men and Zechariah and all these stories from Luke and, and Matthew. But there's 400 years of silence that we have scripture. But then para-biblical scripture, you have history that you can read about. And, and, and those historians that wrote about how Israel struggled to be faithful because over and over they felt like God had abandoned them. And then all of a sudden you pick up in Luke, but what I love is this, you have a prophet, and there's multiple, but in particular you have a prophet named Isaiah. And 800 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, you have this prophet that in chapter 53 says, there's coming a suffering servant. And in particular, verse 3 of chapter 53, it says he will be pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. The punishment that would bring us peace is upon him, and by his stripes we will be healed. 800 years before Jesus shows up, there's a prophet that says there's something coming that you can hang your hat on. There's a plan that God has designed that in the midst of a way that seems hopeless, in the midst of a way that seems broken, the story, the epic is gone. Isaiah says there's something coming. If you're taking notes, (coughs) you can write down Isaiah 9 verse 6, and many of us know this verse. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And we did a series a few years ago around these four themes, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, in a story where where the plot is lost, in a story where brokenness reigns, in a story where for you and I to see the picture of sin and missing the mark leaves us in that brokenness, leaves us in that state of I know nowhere to go because I can't find the hope that I need to have, and yet God says I'm making a way. And Isaiah sees it and says to the people, there is hope coming, but it's 800 years in the future. And all of a sudden, as you open up Matthew and you open up Luke, in Luke chapter 1 in particular, it begins to, to these rumblings of something going on. I'm going to read a bunch here, but bear with me. Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> starting at verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Remember that right there. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Back in the temple period of Israel, over and over, this was the design of the priestly division. The the priest would, would, one, would go into the Holy of Holies and burn incense as a sacrifice to God while all the worshipers would stay outside. And remember... They had done this for 400 years without any sense of, wow, God is amazing and powerful. Wow, God is surely with us. Over and over, they were faithful to a process, even though they didn't see anything magnificent really happen. It's a reminder, honestly, for you and me, that there's prayers that you pray in ways that you feel disillusioned by how life plays out, by things you've asked God for and seen nothing, and yet to me, it's a great reminder How long did Zechariah do this for? Well, his whole lifetime, because he's part of the priestly division of Abijah, which is connected to Aaron, all the way back to Aaron. We're talking Moses and Aaron. How long did Zechariah do this? It says he was very old. He was getting up there in years. I'm 47. Some of you are far beyond me. But it was surely more than 47 years of doing what he was called to do and waiting and hoping God would do something and not seeing or hearing much of anything. Honestly, you guys, it's a great reminder to persevere, to not throw the towel in when things seem hopeless. We're all going to have those moments, and we're all going to have sometimes those seasons, and we're all going to have those things that it seems like, man, there's no answer, and it's been a year or two or five or even ten or more. How many of you have things you've prayed for and not seen an answer for five-plus years? 10? 15? I have my hand up. There's things that we pray for and say, where is God? And yet we continue to persevere because that's the nature of you and I continuing to mature on this journey of faith. Not expecting, it's like the window at McDonald's. Here's what I want and here's what I want on it. Here's what I don't want on it. I'll see you at the window. It says in verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. 
I know Evan talked about for the shepherds, it was the first time in a setting like that that the glory of the Lord was revealed, and it's amazing. But before that, alone in the temple is Zechariah offering the sacrifice that, that they've offered for generations. And yet this is the moment different than any other in 400 years that an angel shows up. And you can imagine Zechariah going through the motions of what they've always done, chosen by lot to burn the incense, which he had done before and many other priests had done before generation after generation, and basically going through the motions not expecting anything. And an angel shows up. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. You can imagine any of us would be. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to drink wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're talking about John the Baptist, who would be Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist, this angel said, you're going to have a child, and Zechariah freaked out and doesn't believe it. In fact, verse 18 says, he asked the angel, how can I be sure? I'm an old man, my wife is well long in years. In other words, things don't work like they should have or used to. And I know you don't like to hear that, but that's what it means. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. You, you're going to be silent now because you didn't believe it. You're not going to be able to speak until the child is born because you didn't believe my words, which will come true. Short, fast forward, Zechariah leaves the inner part of the temple, goes out to the people he knows, and he can't say anything. He's like doing charades to tell them what happens, right? My interpretation. Anyway, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you get to another portion of the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, same one, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Which, by the way, I know that some of you have an angel on the top of your tree, and they're like nice flowing and beautiful dresses. Have you ever seen an angel in Scripture? They're like stack, huge, like all that. You're like opposite of me kind of thing. Like they're, they're large and... and, and but I'm just telling you, sometimes we look at angels, oh, it must have been like this nice white flowing, and there was, you know, maybe some, anyway. Um, this is a bit, and so what I love is her response is the same as Zechariah's. It says, okay, uh, Gabriel, the angel, went to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, which we would all be like, what are you even doing here? And Are you going to kill me or what? I mean, really, that's why they're freaking out. It says, the angel says, same thing to Zechariah as to Mary, do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. And then to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will be with him, or sorry, give him the throne of David, his father, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I know I read a lot there, but it's imperative for you to understand in context, like there was nothing going on until this first moment where all of a sudden God is doing something through an angel named Gabriel. And Zechariah freaks out, and, and the instructions are given by Gabriel. Here's what's about to happen, and you're going to have John, we call him John the Baptist. And then Elizabeth, 
and Mary are related, and, and, and the same angel visits Mary, and she freaks, and the angel says, you're going to be with child through the Holy Spirit. It goes back to this virgin birth, which again was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so what I love is between this John the Baptist and Mary and Joseph and a, and a baby Messiah, remember, the plot was destroyed. And year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, sin reigned, and there was all kinds of issues. And, and, and Paul would say to the New Covenant Church, sin breaks our relationship with God, and it does. But then I love how Paul writes about this hope, but it's a reminder for you and I, the plot is recovered, and it has everything to do with this baby in a manger. And listen to me, you and I would go, if I were God, I would never do it this way. Right? You, you, listen, when, when they bring the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, they bring two turtle doves, two doves. And all of a sudden, to understand why that's important is to get this. If they had means, they wouldn't have brought doves, they would have brought a lamb. It was poor families who brought birds for the dedication of their children. Where was Jesus born? It wasn't Providence in Everett. It wasn't anything amazing. In fact, it was worse than that. It was basically a cave of animals penned in by maybe a gate at the front. And we talk about he was born in a manger. I don't know if you like the idea of a manger, but try having a baby in a feed trough, right? Do you know how far Mary had to travel on a donkey because of the census? Very, very pregnant with child, 80 miles. I don't know what the suspension on a donkey is like, but I can't imagine it's incredibly smooth. I literally go, man, would I have rather been Joseph or Mary, like walking or stuck on a donkey, you know, like, sorry, but that's what I think of, okay? You're like, what goes through your head? I know. I'm as stunned as you are sometimes. But, but the elements of the Christmas story are not the way that we would typically write a story like this. Like, this is a Messiah? Which... Again, little little side note, bonus application. For many of us, the way that we expect God to move isn't always the way God moves. Can I hear an amen from anyone? I mean, we have our expectations and our disappointments, and like I said, we pray and pray, and God doesn't seem to do anything until at some point he will because he's faithful. And yet we're called to persevere. God has his way of doing things that we might never imagine. This is his way of dealing with the issue of sin in the world. A little baby that's a Messiah. Like, What? It's like, no offense, but is it a, a, a Talladega Nights where the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus he's praying to? And we laugh, but it's, it's weird because it's, what? This child grows up to pay for the sins of all mankind. A human? Why do I say all that? Because one of my great concerns is what we want is nostalgia and all the feelings of Christmas that we had when we were whatever age we might have been, that it felt the best. And that's fine. And, and maybe I make light of it and mock it, and you feel insulted when I say that. Enjoy the trees. Have the food. Buy the gifts. Whatever that might be, fine. But what happens is we're trying to stir up maybe what used to be, and what we do is we miss out, miss out on the wonder of what is. The wonder of a God who says, I made a way to recover the plot of your life through a Savior that would come in a manger. And grow up around people. And, and, and Joseph is, is a carpenter. His dad, who's technically his stepdad. Like this story? 
dealt with the issue of missing the mark, the sin in my life? Yeah. And you ought to marvel at it. You ought to find wonder in it. And if it's missing, what I want to challenge you with is the realization of how wonderful God really is to do that for you and to do that for me. It shouldn't be lost on us that it's just another season to read the Christmas story, just another reason to show up and, and go through the motions of moments like this. It's far more than that. The plot is recovered. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3, verse 17. I pray that you, and so Paul would be saying this to us, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of y'all together, basically, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And you can read those verses and go, that's a lot of fluffy language, and it sounds poetic, and it would make a great social media post, but maybe people won't understand it. But what Paul is saying to the church is, what God has done through the work of Christ that started in a manger became salvation for all of us, that missing the mark is dealt with because of Jesus on the cross. And at the corner, at the, uh, the cornerstone or the anchor to all of our faith, our ability to have hope, our ability to have life, our ability to have peace, our ability to have strength is in what Jesus has done on the cross, that that is what matters. And it began in a manger, and we go through the motions of a Christmas story, but it ought to waken us up and cause us to want to do cartwheels on Christmas morning. Sorry, I said that really fast. And I can't say it again because I'm not even sure what I just said. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's why there's wonder in this story. That we can, Paul says that you can wrap your heads around, if at all possible, the fullness of what God has done for you in Christ. That's pretty wonderful. Wonderful. Full of wonder. We say the word wonderful all the time. It's wonderful. That's wonderful news. Think about it. Causes a wonder in us. Wow, God. An awe in us. You love me that much? Holy smokes, Lord. You care that much about me and that I've missed the mark in my life? And it's an overwhelming and resounding absolutely yes. If Eden back in Genesis 2 and 3, was the first advent of God's relationship with mankind, then the Christmas story is the second advent. That once again, the relationship is recovered. Romans 5.15, I read verse 14 earlier. Romans 5.15, Paul says this, but the gift is not like the trespass, okay? So gift being the gospel message of Christ, trespass being sin. The gift isn't like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, going back to Genesis 2 and original sin, how much more, so, so Paul says it's overwhelmingly even far better, as, as negative as this is, this part is by far better, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that, the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? It's understanding that what God has done in Christ is substantially, positively 
better than the negative of what sin did through Adam. And, and by the way, Romans 5, 6, 7, it's a systematic reading and understanding of what God has done in Christ. It's profound. But it's that reminder, and I know I say it this way, but God recovered the plot. That we can get back on track. That we're not left stewing in our own sin and lost in our own addictions and patterns and issues. That God has come to redeem the whole of your life. Anybody out there own a computer? Just raise your hand. Okay, the other half are lying. If you own a computer, anybody ever had a computer so long that you booted it up and all it does is spin? And you never get beyond that? Or if you have a Mac, I think you boot it up and the question mark shows up? Anybody ever been there? In your heart, you're like, oh no, this is not good. Because what it means is your computer no longer has the ability for you to use it and get anything out of it possibly. And everything is a problem. You can't boot it up and use what you need to use and it's got all the information in there and whatever pictures and whatever else. So what do you do? You're in big trouble. You call somebody you know that's really good with computers. His name is Randy Irvig, but anyway, right here. <laughs> or you take it to one of those shops with some random person who's a professional. And what do they do? Here you go, and uh, I don't really know what happened. And you hope and pray to the heavens that they can recover what's on there, right? And if they can't, you lose. But if they can... You might even kiss their feet. Probably not. <laughs> why, why do I say, I, all I'm trying to do, and I bring it up that way because it, it's maybe easy to understand. If you have a computer with the question mark and you can't get past it, you have nothing. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a cheesy way to try to understand that in our sin and missing the mark on our own, we have nothing. We're stuck. We need the professional. And yes, his name is Jesus. And he dealt with all the stuff of sin in our lives and missing the mark so the relationship could be restored. And we need to never, ever, ever forget that. But like I said, we're not without hope. It doesn't mean life isn't heavy, but we're never without hope. It doesn't mean we don't go through stuff, but we're never without hope. If you're in the reading plan and you read through First and Second Peter the last few days, because that's about where we're at, if you're up on it, what you read is Peter talks often of the suffering of God's people. In fact, when he writes what he writes in First and Second Peter in the Bible, he's writing to a church that's scattered because of hard times. And he talks about suffering for Christ. And he reminds us we're going to suffer. And by the way, in context, he says sometimes we're going to suffer because of Christ, and sometimes we're just going to suffer because of the nature of the world we live in because it's broken. He deals with all of it. But I say because sometimes we get this expectation that if I'm in Christ, shouldn't it always be easy? No. That's why words like long-suffering are part of what we need to have through the work of the Spirit. It's why he says, hey, fruit of the Spirit, patience. Why would he say that? Because we're going to need it. And some of us are really good at it, and others of us aren't. Our lives are recovered because of what God has done in Christ. And I want to anchor ourselves to, when we look at the Christmas story, the wonder of God's amazing love. And never forget that. And it doesn't mean we always feel it. It doesn't mean we always comprehend it the way that we should. But it's true that it's always there. And God said, Jesus in particular said, when I go away, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. 
to be with you every moment. And there's multiple titles for the Holy Spirit in our lives. The empowerer, dunamis, dynamite type power, explosive power to be light to our world. Counselor, advocate comes alongside of us, walks with us, refuses to leave us or forsake us. Encourager, wisdom giver. And God has given us this in Christ every day. And so when I bring up the Christmas story and talk about our, our, our hope and our life that we've been given, it really is something that should cause wonder in our hearts. And that's my prayer. I, I put it down in my notes this way. This Christmas, I want to celebrate the moment Jesus began his mission to recover the plot of my life. Because he has. And there are story after story in this room of how God recovered the plot in Christ and how we're living a different life than we ever imagined because of that grace. Because the light bulb came on in Christ. And it's an invitation that he gives all of us. What God has done in Christ matters. Maybe you're here today and, and you need to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Invite him in and say, man, I believe in what he's done for me. I need to surrender to that. I need that life. When I talk about the issue of sin and missing the mark, it's all of our problem. But the way that was made was through Jesus. And I was reading, it just last week I was reading something, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, I was reading something where, you know, people get kind of bent about like, well, Jesus, you know, God made a way through Jesus. And instead of people going, well, that's the only way, we should be surprised that there's a way at all. Marvel in God's love in Christ. Find wonder in his love for us every single day. I want to pray. Jesus, I pray where maybe our hearts get hard. I pray, Lord, where maybe when I talk about the idea of praying and, and, and asking God for certain things over and over but not seeing anything, not only do I ask that there will be a breakthrough in those prayers and an answer that people are waiting for, but for some that have been praying for so long, a spirit of perseverance. I pray for hope to rise up in certain hearts, especially, God, where there is things in this room, addiction and, and, and patterns that are not what you want, God, that you would waken people up in an amazing way through your spirit, that there's a different life to be lived. Not in regret and shame and, 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 and confusion of where we're at, but, God, re redeeming because you've come to recover the lives that you've called us to live. God, I pray you would do that in each of our hearts. Father, I pray for some today that say, you know what? When I hear what you're talking about, I need that in my life. God, I pray that people would invite you to be the Lord of their lives. Just simply pray, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Come into my heart. I believe in you. I want to start new today, and maybe that's you, and you hear that, pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I believe in what you've done. Jesus, thank you for making a way that began in a manger, that ended on a cross, and then burial, and then resurrection. Father, thank you for who you are in each of our lives. Stir that wonder that we can walk out what you have for each of us. I pray that, that there will be moments this season that we literally burst with gratitude in our hearts, with a joy. That we find these moments, God, where we draw near to you and there's a new peace that we haven't had in a long time. I pray for that. I pray people walk out of here where there's turmoil. They would have a newfound peace where weakness seems to reign, there will be a newfound strength. Where darkness or hopelessness seems to be the order of the day, God, your hope would dawn in their hearts. And we can't escape these moments without your spirit doing something amazing. I pray for that. And I thank you for the wonder of this season in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.